This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Okay, uh, so here we are. We're doing these uh, this episode and a couple others uh, at NASTEC PPI conference in Oklahoma City. So Fred, tell us a little bit, uh, remind our listeners what NASTEC is. And Absolutely. It's, it's actually a real treat. Jethro to introduce you to this community that's yeah, been, been fun, been so important to the work that, that I've done over the last five or six years. So we are at a conference called the Professional Practices Institute, which is run by NASDAQ, which is the National Association of State Directors of Teacher Education and Certification. They are responsible for providing training to the licensing people and the education training people around the country. PPI is specifically focused on investigators and state attorneys. You'll hear from many of them over the next few episodes. So this and whatever other ones we put this pre-recording in front of are going to set the stage for, for what we're talking about. We talked to some really great people. It was awesome, but we barely scratched the surface. So we only did a couple live in-person interviews, but we're going to have some more of those people on the Cybertraps podcast coming up. And so as you hear background noise and things like that through these episodes, that's because we're recording in a hallway and <laughs> that's kind of how it right, goes. Right next to the buffet table. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. So I'll have you just introduce yourself and tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll sure we'll jump in and we'll have Fred start with the questioning and, and then we'll go from there. All right. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Scott Gordon. I'm general counsel for the Kansas State Department of Education. Uh, I've been with the department for nine years this week, actually. Congratulations. Thank you. Well done, Scott. This is now my 10th PPI appearance, even with missing last year, I think. Nice. So... 
Uh, yeah, I've been with the agency since 2012. I started off as just the attorney that was charged with investigating and prosecuting the allegations of misconduct. I did that for approximately a year, year and a half before I was promoted to general counsel. My background prior to being with the agency is I was an assistant district attorney down in Wichita, Kansas for four years, where I prosecuted uh, juvenile offenses, uh, a lot of drug crimes, a lot of felony DUIs, felony, just general offenses, and all manner of traffic. <laughs> so do you, as the general counsel and when you were prosecuting things for the Department of Education, did you have legal authority equal to a regular prosecutor or how is that different set up? So uh, being general counsel and also, um, you know, the attorney for was my title before, my authority was limited in investigating allegations of the licensed personnel. I had nothing to do with the criminal court, but I did have the authority. I think I had the discretion of deciding what cases to bring forward and what cases to not bring forward based on the, the evidence that I had, the strength of the, the case. Every case that I had to bring forward as a formal complaint that had to be approved by the director of teacher licensure and accreditation because our rules are set up that way, that it has to be someone in the education profession may bring a complaint. Hmm. Um, so you're not, you weren't in a position to do it independently as an attorney then or staff counsel? That's right, yeah. Okay. It was, let me put it this way, if I wanted a formal complaint, I would just take the matter to whoever the director of teacher licensure was at the time. And the understanding was I never brought a complaint unless I thought it was necessary for it to be a complaint. If the director of teacher licensure agreed, then he or she would sign off on the complaint, we would proceed. If the director did not agree that it was worthy, like, you know, there's no reason to bring this case forward, then we would take it to the commissioner of education, which in Kansas is the highest, that's the chief education officer, and that person would decide. Hmm. Um, fortunately, I think that might have happened twice <laughs> in the past decade. So no, That's not a bad record. No. So in terms of the work that you've done and the kinds of cases you've seen, obviously the last decade's been really interesting. <laughs> it so has, yeah. How would, how would you summarize the impact that, you know, in particular, technology has had on your work? So um, as you know, teachers and students are connecting more and more online and through apps, so much so that they, teachers will often give their personal cell phone numbers to students. This is something that I yell at every single time I hear about it. I've told <laughs> all of my friends, I, I blast this publicly as often as I can. There is no reason for a student to ever have the personal cell phone number of a teacher, ever. Teachers, those in the education field, they, uh, they yell back saying, wait a minute, I have to let my students know if something's going on, if practice is canceled, if there's an assignment they need to get done, if I'm worried about them. Of course, I'm going to give them an opportunity to reach out, which I point out. You have email that, you is, that is made available by every school district. You can contact the parents, hopefully. I know that's not always the case. Unfortunately, you have a, the generation of teachers that has come out probably in the last five years or so they're so used to connecting with everybody through social media, they don't even think twice about connecting with students on social media. No, it's, it's just instinctive. Yeah, it's like, it's not a big deal. It's just like walking next door. I just add them on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, 
Well, it's not Ten. Facebook anymore because the yeah. kids don't use Facebook. Oh, uh, well, right, right. <laughs> and Facebook is changing its name also. I heard, heard about that. that. Well, actually, the, it, Facebook is going to retain its name but be under an umbrella company yes. called, like, you know, ZuckBM or something. <laughs> Brokeninternet.com. <laughs> Crushed society. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a la Google and Alphabet, right? Exactly, the same right. Kind of thing. right. Well, you know, this is interesting, though, Scott, because I would imagine you're aware, uh, as someone who's been in this field, that you've got new teachers who are only a handful of years older than some of the kids they're teaching. Mm-hmm. So they're in the same mix, really, when it comes to technology. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've had cases, quite a few cases, you know, that a teacher might be four years older than the seniors that they're teaching. Mm-hmm. And in smaller communities, especially being in Kansas, we've got a lot of small communities where these people have known each other and known their families their entire lives. These are the kids that they've grown up with. Um, these are the families they've grown up with. Maybe they're dating siblings or they have dated siblings at one point, and they just see them as, well, you know, that's just my little brother or just that's just somebody I used to hang out with all the time. And understanding those boundaries, I think it's harder for this batch, for lack of a better word, batch of teachers to understand and recognize. Once they become a student, you've got to recognize and, and appreciate them as as being a student. Well, I had that small town thing really drilled into me when I went to one of the coastal towns in Alaska mm-hmm. on one of my lecture trips. And... I was talking about that precise issue, about creating that boundary. And this teacher came up to me and said, we're in a community of 200 people, and I was at the birth of three of my students. (laughs) So I know these families really intimately, Mm -hmm. and what do you expect me to do? And it was exactly that, to say it may feel artificial, but for the time that that student is in your class, and preferably the school, Right. You should create that distance, at least on social media. I agree. Absolutely. And part of the, the other part of the difficulty is that the students that are in high school and junior high now, even the older teachers, they're smarter than the older teachers when it comes to the use and misuse of social media. And they can be fairly manipulative at times. <laughs> Kids? No. I, I know. It's <laughs> shocking. Uh, to think such a thing could happen. But we recently pursued a case that, in hindsight, it appears that it was the student that had been grooming that teacher for some time. Wow. And the teacher was, you know, we had a hearing. The teacher testified, and it was shocking how naive she was about the messages and the, the manner in which he was communicating with her she, she played it off as though it was like, well, he was just asking for help with this art project. No, he's drawing My Little Pony in a very pornographic manner, commenting on her features. You put air quotes around that word? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I could feel those. You know, I'm trying to describe this as appropriately as possible, but he was not very subtle uh, yeah. in the messages to her, how he felt about this character that he had sexualized. Apparently, this is a thing. When asked, she indicated, well, no, there was nothing sexual about him telling me he really wanted to be inside her because that made him feel warm and, and comfortable. So anyway, yes. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an Olympic level of naivete, I think I have to say. Yeah. Well, you know, I think this is an important thing to recognize, though, because a teacher 
who is not thinking that way and is not paying attention to that could could misunderstand that and not see what's really going on, especially if she is not aware of social mores and how that kind of stuff, They do, people do talk about that. I mean, that's something that I've seen something not that intense, but something similar to that, where a a student was basically not flirting with the teacher, but trying, but totally manipulating the teacher. And the teacher had no idea what was going on. And when I brought it up, she was like, no, this, there's nothing like that at all happening. And I thought she was in, I thought she was in denial or being facetious or something. But as I continued to investigate and see what was going on, she really had no idea that this kid was manipulating her. And that brings up your uh, future book, Cyber Traps for the Vulnerable, mm-hmm. of you know sure. people who who don't know better and don't know that they're being put in a vulnerable position. Um, and and so we hear about those things occasionally, but they're certainly not the majority. But what do you do in that situation when the the person truly we can believe has no idea what's going on? So in this particular case, and part of the issue in this particular case, aside from the the manner of how they were talking, was this young teacher, this was her second year of teaching, I believe, didn't understand or didn't even think about the fact that, one, she was using her school email, which was beneficial to us because we had records of all of it. Right. I think they had collected between three and 400 emails between the two of them in like a three- or four-week period of time. And these are emails that are taking place between 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. all the way as late as 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm sensing a theme here. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. Well. she didn't think anything of it. She's like, well, you know, it's not like we were writing out long paragraphs. No, you were using your email as if it was a text message. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly right. It's the same form factor yep. of conversation, just in a different medium. Well, Absolutely. and this is what makes the device issue so challenging is that you text on your phone, you send Snapchats on your phone, you do Instagram on your phone, you send emails on your phone, and pretty soon any communication you do on your phone feels like any other kind of communication. And so to me, three to 400 emails in a short period of time seems astronomical, but I can imagine that many of them were those short, check this out, that's cool, blah, 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 back and forth, but still that volume is just too much. That's where you got to know there's a there's a line. Well, there's a whole bunch of points that yeah. come out of this, yeah. right, Jethro? That you, cause I'm like champing at the bit here. But, <laughs> but look, I mean, we can relate it for the audience. How many of us have had scheduling back and forth where all of a sudden your Gmail thread is 15 messages long? That's true. And there's like four words in each of the email messages. So that number counter climbs really quickly. Yeah. But the other piece that really fascinates me, and from an administrative point of view, Scott, I'd be curious, mm-hmm. why are we not... It, asking schools or expecting schools to equip themselves with flags that would identify time of night when these things occur or volume. These are absolutely logical triggers. Or just turn it off at night. Well, that I might have a little bit more concern about, but I think the flagging piece is a good compromise. Like you as a principal should walk into your office on a school morning and be told if a teacher and a mm-hmm. student are emailing each other at two in the morning. Right. Cause we have, that's a data. given. Yeah. What's your thought on that? Scott? 
Yeah, in a perfect world, when you have unlimited resources and you've got staff members that understand anything you just said, uh, working at a school district. uh, I'm available for travel. That that would be great, right? But, you know, schools in their defense, so many schools, especially the smaller ones, they're having a hard time just keeping up with all of the student data and all the student records they have to keep up with, maintaining integrity for their own computer system, right, including their emails, to now ask them, or even dare we say require them, to start monitoring and doing a better job of monitoring email use. It's nice for me to say in the ivory tower, you should do this. Also being somewhat realistic, it's a challenge. Now, do I think they should be doing that? Absolutely. That's a no-brainer. Fortunately, in this case, the school had maintained these records, so they were able to turn them over after they had terminated her uh, employment. I honestly don't think to this day she still understands why she was terminated or why her license. Her license ended up getting suspended for two years. I think she has her license back by now. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if she's still in Kansas. Well, and kids have moved on from My Little Pony, so maybe that won't be an issue. Mm-hmm. But no, look, I, I think, Scott, you make a really good point. As you know, I was on a school board. We mm-hmm. grappled with these financial issues all the time. And this was back in the dark ages when we didn't have anything approaching the volume of material that schools deal with today. Mm -hmm. So let's shift gears just a little bit. Let me ask you this in terms of the work that you do. What what do you think is the long-term prognosis? Do you think people will get a handle on this? I think we're getting better at it. I think we're getting much better at investigating these allegations. Mm -hmm. I think we're better at getting ahead of them. Do we still have issues? Absolutely. Does Snapchat still exist? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's like Snapchat on whatever drug you want to say would speed up Snapchat to a level that it never fails. You're always going to have the, the, the younger generation. The students are always going to be more advanced than the parents. They figure out how to put apps on their phones that the parents can't find until the parents do find it. So they move on to the next level of technology. I think we're doing a much better job of training teachers to be on the lookout for this. I think state education agencies lately have gotten much better about making it a requirement or at least a strong suggestion in the teacher preparation programs to inform teachers coming into the field, look, these are the traps. These are the things you got to keep a keep an eye out for. <laughs> you um, could even write a book about that called Cyber Traps for I Educators. Mean, wouldn't that be such a great product <laughs> if only there was one available? And we have a new favorite guest, everybody. <laughs> yes, thank you, Scott. Nice job. No, it's, it's absolutely true. I, sure. This is a good chunk of what Jethro and I have been talking about in terms of the Center for Cyber Ethics, this idea that we need to organize and institutionalize this kind of ethical training. And we can't simply assume that people will absorb it because everything moves so fast. So let's give them the framework to make better decisions. You know, I think it's one of the most telling things that I've been told by a licensee after we, I went after his teaching license. You may recall he presented at Professional Practices Institute with me a few years ago. I do. We asked, I asked the question, is, do you think this is something that might have been avoidable, this sexual relationship he'd had with a student, had you been warned about it and trained about it ahead of time? And of course, after he prison sentence, he said, yes, absolutely. I wish there had been training on 
this. I wish this is something that we had covered. I had no idea, and this just it bothers me to this day that somebody would say this. I didn't know they would be so cute. I didn't know they'd be so interested in me. And I just wanted to be the cool teacher. I just wanted to be the good teacher that everybody loved. And I didn't know how to separate those boundaries until it was too late. Yikes. Yeah, that is sobering. It was a really interesting presentation. I actually went out and bought the first of his three books discussing this incident. And I will say did him a favor by not reviewing it on Cybertraps because it was, um, it, it definitely put the serving and self-serving in terms of, of how he was justifying this relationship with this young woman. That's horrible. So in, in closing, mm-hmm. what is something that you think needs to be done uh, at a broad level to make sure that we reduce the number of incidents of harm to students? First, I think there does need to be more training. Uh, there absolutely needs to be more either professional development or you include that as part of your teacher prep programs, how to maintain those boundaries and how to appropriately use and how to avoid inappropriately using um, social media. I don't think it's covered nearly enough. We suggest it. I know that several schools do cover it, but obviously there's nothing wrong with more information, right? I'd rather just drill it in so much as we can. I think it's not a bad idea to have that actually as a licensing requirement. Now, my state education agency would kill me for saying this, but make it a licensing <laughs> podcast. Doesn't uh, matter. <laughs> we'll be sure to tag them. <laughs> make it a licensing requirement that if you did not go through a standard path to receive your teaching license, then there is a certain level of professional development you should have to obtain and include this topic in that professional development. Well, it's analogous, honestly, Scott, to being an attorney, right? You have to pass ethics in order to sit for the bar to begin with. You have to pass it on the bar, and then you need continuing education going forward on these ethical issues. And honestly, ever since I've been coming to PPI, I've been arguing for a similar system for educators because most attorneys don't deal with kids on the day-to-day basis that the way educators do. I would argue attorneys need ethics, obviously, but teachers may even be of a higher need. So, I know. I'll just last little comment I'll make for what it's worth. Every license that I'm aware of for teachers requires some professional development for renewal or to upgrade your license. I don't believe that there are specific requirements on ethics on appropriate use of social media as part of that annual professional development. And I I don't think it could hurt by any means. Well, and and actually, I agree with you. I'm pretty confident that it's not. And it would be a great addition to have because, you know, they keep inviting me back to PPI because this stuff changes. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't give the same lecture every year and teachers need these updates and reminders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Scott, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being part of the Cybertraps podcast, and we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for inviting me. Great to sit with you, Scott. My pleasure. I would like to wrap up then this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, education, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts 
who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast and all your favorite apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and reach out to us if you have a topic or guest suggestion. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. If you're still listening, you must have loved this episode. And if that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast player. And we thank you for being here and we'll see you on our next live show on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.